0: Talking about the things that make your home service business go.
1: Marketing, finance, systems, people. This is the Fight Club for Business podcast. Makes
2: me
1: Fight Club. Let's start with a laugh. (laughs) Hi there. Welcome to
3: Blackboard.
1: (laughs) Welcome, everybody.
4: And happy Tuesday. Yes, happy Tuesday. Welcome back to Fight Club, everyone. Super excited to be with you here this Tuesday morning. As you know, Fight Club is a group of self-employed industry experts and we cover four areas of business. So we've got marketing, operations, employee management, and money. And this is just a casual conversation each week to really help you find an area to fight for your business. So we'll go around and do some quick introductions. And then from there, we'll kind of jump into the interview side of things. So my name is Taylor Maroney. I co-own power washing company in South Florida with my husband. And I've been in marketing for about six years now. And I'm super excited to say welcome back to Fight Club. And welcome, Kathy. We're super excited to have you with us today. Um, Could you give the guests a little bit of a background on yourself and your business? My name is Kathy Gage, and
2: I'm retired. Yay. Yay. So I (laughs)
4: worked
2: as an accountant for Anheuser-Busch for 10 years. And Then I went to work for another accounting firm, and I just decided I wanted to run my own business one crazy day in 2000, and I chose a maid service. So we ran our company, which was called Marvelous Maids, for 15 years. And then five years ago, uh, actually five years ago tomorrow, uh, we officially sold our business. So tomorrow is the end of my non-compete. Not that I'm going to start another maid service. (laughs) So we, we, our company grew to about one and a half million. We had 45 employees and uh, I enjoyed it. Wow.
0: That's awesome. Well, I, I had no idea you were a fellow accountant or your background was in accounting. Uh, so really nice to meet you uh, in person, live. Uh, my name is Megan Likes. I'm the founder of Bookkeeping Academy Online. I educate and empower small business owners to know their numbers so that they can live more financially rewarding lives. I'm also an accountant. I own a full-service accounting firm called Likes Accounting Company based out of Northern California, and I own a window cleaning and gutter cleaning company with my husband, Jeff. And I'm really happy to be here on this Tuesday morning. Welcome
1: to Fight Club and welcome, Kathy. Hey, Kathy, I'm Michelle and I cover systems here at Fight Club. I am the co-owner of Pink Collars and we outsource your front and back office tasks. So if you need a CSR or an office manager, that's something that we do. We're going to hit on systems and how you got to scale to 45 employees because I love those numbers. Um, I love employees and those numbers make me happy when we're creating jobs. So I want to talk to you about that. And welcome to Fight Club.
3: Thank you. (laughs) And Kathy is a longtime friend of mine. Um, I'm Martha Woodward, and I also own a maid service in a neighboring state called Dusting Divas. And I co-founded a software called Quality Driven Software, which is in conjunction with a membership called Culture First. And it's all about creating happier workplaces. So welcome to Fight Club. And thank you so much, Kathy. I know people are going to just eat up the information that you have. And like we were talking before we went live, you have such a unique perspective to be able to look back and kind of think about the things that uh, I know I already have some regrets on, man, if I would have done this sooner or whatever, and then the things that you think were you know, unique and really positive things for your company. So let's dive in and uh, I'll pass <laughs> it off to Tate. Awesome. Well, Kathy, we
4: handle in my section marketing and kind of in, in natural format does include sales at, in a sense. So Um, I'll kind of let you choose whichever topic you feel more comfortable speaking on. Um, especially because you are removed, like Martha said, and it's been almost five years tomorrow. Um, as far as marketing and or sales, so either one, what would you say was your biggest, maybe success, and then also your biggest regret for one of those two, uh, topics? Um,
2: Let's do marketing. Probably, um, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that I'm, I'm really into numbers and measuring things, that's the accountant in me. And so I think one of our biggest successes was we tracked what worked. So anytime we got a new customer, we put that in our computer system and we knew where they came from. Because as you know, things change and I'm sure things have changed a lot in five years. When I started the business, the biggest way to advertise was the yellow pages. Now, would you do that today? <laughs> no. No, so you have to keep looking and be open to looking for what's working in the future and be willing to change with that. Um, I also think a, another success is to keep marketing. So even if things are slow or you have fewer employees or the economy isn't as good. If you're not constantly maintaining your image on Facebook or doing you know, something on Google or whatever the latest search engine is, then you're going to fall behind when things do pick up. And so I think consistency.
4: Mm. Absolutely. And I would definitely say, you know, Yellow Pages definitely did transition, it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily a transition to Yellow Pages being owned by Google. But <laughs> Google's pretty much our online Yellow Pages at this point. Um, and is that something you did learn and kind of work with over time when you were still I mean, five years ago, Google was still very prevalent and prevalent, I should say. Um, so was that something you were able to adjust to in the time period? I did my own SEO. I bought a book, SEO, you know, SEO in
2: thirty minutes a day or something, mm. um, and I and I did that, and so we were number one in Google. So um, that
4: so awesome, but it,
2: it was a lot of work. You know, I'd rather hired out to a trusted person, um, <laughs> but it was a lot of work on my part. I did it in the evening, but we got to number one and stayed there for a long
3: time in st oh.
4: louis in st louis. louis yeah and yeah. in, in a major city at that point and
3: yeah.
4: and that as you did say it is a lot of work and i will i'm never going to be one to discredit marketing companies because they do a fantastic job i've worked for multiple um but people do get scared by that dollar factor sometimes when they are first starting out or they're not fully able to put that budget towards marketing and like you said keep that consistency because that really is key especially once you start an seo campaign or google ads campaign once you start getting that data and those numbers in you're really able to build those campaigns to be such stronger campaigns in the future Mm -hmm. from all that information so i do recommend to people that there are books out there there are possibilities of being able to do it yourself in the beginning to then pass that off to a marketing company and say, hey, this is what I've been able to lay the groundwork for. It might not be perfect. It might not be pretty, but I didn't have the funds to be able at the point to be able to push that off to someone else. I did have someone I trusted, either myself, my wife, my son. I mean, kids these days are crazy when it comes to online and working with technology. So you can be able to find someone potentially in the family to hold that close for a little bit, and then hand that off and be able to still keep growing that campaign, which I think is fantastic. Um, So as far as something you might regret, because I know that's something in marketing, there's so many different avenues. I mean, you can go from email marketing to direct mail, you have, you know, used to be like, voicemail bombs are still pretty popular at this point. Not crazy. Now it's kind of moved to text bombs. But Mm -hmm. is there anything that you thought of you wanted to do at one point, maybe didn't do that you might regret?
2: Um, It's actually something I did. I did direct mail. And for whatever reason, I poured a ton of money into direct mail. And it didn't work for us. So Hmm. I um, regret that. And I'm not sure if that was the design of the postcard we sent or, you know, how many times we did it. I'm not sure.
4: Hmm. Honestly,
1: that's something. That I... oh No, you're here, Tay. You got a little frozen oh, and glitchy there I for a second. I got frozen there for a second. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, no, I've heard that before, actually, Kathy, with direct mail. And direct mail is something that, I will say both direct mail and um even like really targeted eddm flyers and things of that sort which is really similar um you have to do the heavy research in that and really see if that's something your market is going to take in and then actually not throw away in the trash before they get to the house (laughs) i know my husband's one of those he'll like get everything and kind of on his way to the door he like drops it into the the paper bin <laughs> and then he'll mm-hmm. come to me and say, oh, let's do direct mail. And I'm like, do you see what you do with direct mail? Yeah. You bring that <laughs> to the house. <laughs> I'm not going to spend money on direct mail because I know the type of client you are and you're more Internet. So yeah. it is very much a market. Certain markets do fantastic. Um, smaller towns where people love to get those coupons that come in the mail and be able to, uh, you know, go through and s- categorize them into each bracket. They do very well there. Um, but it is a market-based uh, success, I guess you can say. So I'm not, I'm not too surprised that that's a regret of yours. I, I have worked with a lot of clients who have said the same thing and it is it is very much a, a very niche market for direct mail. Okay.
2: Now we did send a postcard to ex-customers and that worked really well. So we'd wait till they'd been gone six months and send mm. a postcard that said, we missed you. We hope you miss us too.
3: And we oh. give them a
2: little offer to come back. And by six months, their house needed attention if they hadn't been able, <laughs> if all their good intentions didn't happen, right? So it that worked well for us.
0: I'm the note taker over here. So I'm, I'm listening yeah. and engaging, but I think this is the transition point. Um, so I'm just putting in this awesome idea I'm about frozen. we miss you postcard. Am I frozen again?
1: Yeah, so good. Yeah, so good. Okay. Are you, you're back to,
4: you're yeah. good. Go ahead. I don't know what happened with my internet there. I'm on full bars, but it's not,
0: it's <laughs> unstable. <laughs> so Kathy, I, when I joined this morning, which I will admit to our listeners that I was very late. Um, <laughs> when I joined this morning, Martha was talking to you about some of the successful things you did to build a transparent, culture around money with your staff. Um, And that sounded really interesting because I know that we're going through staffing challenges as an industry right now. But I was actually hoping to take you a slightly different direction today and talk to you about exiting. So I was at a coffee shop the other day and I was talking to my local banker and he was saying that what he's seeing right now as a financial trend as a banker is he's seeing a lot of acquisitions He's seeing a lot of his customers getting acquired. And I know personally, I have several friends that have been approached with offers in the past year. And it does seem like there's a bit of this climate right now where um, people who came out of this well are in a position to make some offers. So Mm -hmm. I we're both accountants so I know that like feelings are weird for accountants or I'm going to speak for myself feelings are weird for me they they're a little different than my analytical brain where I'm very logical and I'm not very emotional but It's a super emotional decision to let go of a company, uh, especially a company that you've held on to and built up for 15 years from scratch. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that emotional process of deciding that it's time, knowing that it's time. And then I'm hoping you have like, you have like an anecdote or a story that you can share with our listeners about like, what was the sign that this was time? And so, do you mind just talking a little bit through that narrative in case anybody's out there listening and they've been approached or they've been considering listing for? I've I've had several client meetings recently where people want to list their business for sale. Can you talk us through that a little bit, please? Um, so my decision was
2: really personal. Oh, I'm
0: Personal. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, and we could. Just, no, I was having some health
2: issues, <laughs> and so I. Um, started considering and I was caring for my mother, um, who was ended up passing away about the time I sold the business. And I was hoping to have more time with her. Um, So there were some personal things that came into play for me. And that probably happens a lot. Because if you're happy running your business, you may not be interested in selling. But if life happens, you know, that may change your perspective. So I was actually approached um, by a gentleman the gentleman from Blue Skies, Michael Dalkey, about selling the business. And I told him I was not interested when he first contacted me. And then he contacted me a month or two later and said, you know, I hear you have really good systems and you're a team. And, you know, I just bought a company that's singles. And I really want to see the team thing. Can I just come and pick your brain for a couple of days? And I said, well, you can come, but I'm not going to give you it. <laughs> And I'm not going to give you any of our procedures. And I'm not going to, you know, blah, 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 blah. So he came. Um, And we had some good talks. He stayed for three days. And uh, at the end of the three days, I walked out into the hallway. If I was going to sell, I wanted it to be good for my employees. We were a very employee-based company. We were employee-focused versus customer-focused, which might sound crazy, but that was really successful for us. And so we had this dream board on the wall outside my office. And on that board, my staff had written three things that they dreamt. And he was standing there reading that board crying. And I thought, okay, this guy has the heart for staff to buy my business. So we went to lunch, he and my husband, I, my husband worked in the business as well. And, um, it is a very emotional decision. And if if I hadn't found him accidentally <laughs> reading the board in tears, I'm not sure I would have sold. Um, but uh, I'm glad I did. And uh, it's worked out really well. Um, it was a good transition. So I don't know how that applies to other people. But for me, it was an emotional decision. And then the health issue went away. So that was... That was awesome.
0: I'm very glad to hear that. And I feel like that absolutely will apply to other people. You your core value as a company was putting employees first and that was the sign that you that you you were given when you were considering this really big decision. Um so that's helpful um let's go through. So, you know, I don't know if you have Mike Dolkey knocking down your door, but you know, if you do, that's, that's great. And that, that could work for you. If you don't, can you talk through uh, from your accounting perspective, it sounds like something that was really appealing to him was your policies and procedures, your systems and your culture to some extent. Um, But from your accounting background, can we talk a little bit about the money? Like what were some things that um, made the sale easier? Um, how how did you kind of come to terms about dollar amounts? And you don't have to be specific, but, you know, I talk to clients all day, every day, and they say, well, my baby's worth $5 million, or my baby's <laughs> worth $12 million, or my baby's worth $100 million, right? And then you've got a buyer on the other side who's like, uh, how about 50,000, you know, or something like that. So how, what are some strategies that uh, somebody who's considering going through this process should be looking at, could be looking at um, what were some things, and I know that it was five years ago, but what are some things that you remember doing? And maybe I liked Taylor's regret. I don't like regrets necessarily, but I like this question of what's something you would have done differently um, having this much space.
2: So um, probably a year or two before I sold the business, I considered it. And one thing I did is prepared the business for sale is what I'll call it. We got really consistent with our numbers. We tried to improve our bottom line um, because there's always a little fat in there. Uh, We worked more on our culture and our turnover. Um, So we really tried to get things ready for sale in case we wanted to. Um, I met with a broker and this particular broker sat down and figured what he thought the price would be in four different methods. And we'll see if I can remember them. Um, One was a multiplier based on sales growth. So it was based on sales improving and how fast it was improving versus the industry. And there was some multiplier applied to that. Um, One was based on profit margin. And so, you know, it was a percentage of, of, you know, your profits. One was based on um, what they could get for a loan from the small business, um, you know, government agency. And What was the fourth one? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head what the fourth one was. It might have
0: been a multiple of EBITDA. Yes,
2: I think it was. You're right. Okay. So he looked at it those different ways and he came up with a range of what he thought my business was worth from those four numbers. And he gave me the math and the calculations for all four of those and showed me that comparison. So, you know, I I didn't use the broker and his percentage was going to be 12% of the gross price that the buyer paid. And so when I negotiated, I kind of took that into account. I decided this is somebody I want to have by my business. You know, he wanted it for less than I wanted to sell it for. And we negotiated because I knew I was saving that 12%. Um, But
0: And you were educated and informed and you had kind of taken the emotion out of it. You had a completely independent third party come in and help you with evaluation. And I, I think that that's a really good exercise. So if you're a listener who's been considering a sale, I think getting some real numbers and data from an outside perspective is helpful. And I think that Kathy really benefited by doing it before she had a buyer approach her because then she was prepared and she, she was ready. I find it really ironic because I was sitting through a workshop with Mike Dahlke and Mike, Kaplan about negotiation about 10 days ago. (laughs) So this is really funny and cool to hear it firsthand um, from your perspective. But um, before you can even start negotiating, you have to both be able to have true numbers that are data driven, um, to go with. So that, you know, 50 million pie in the sky that I would never let it go for more. I think it's great that you went through a broker. Um, and like you said, you didn't end up using them and you were able to use it as leverage because you know, it was cost savings of that 12%. That's fantastic.
2: That buyer also has to be able to justify the price. So The first thing Michael did is went through my numbers and started highlighting all the things he would cut because he not only has to make a profit, but he has to pay, he has to pay me. So he's got to either find more profit or get a better price in order to do that. So there's their perspective as well that comes into play.
0: Yeah. Um, so along those lines, my, my last question for you today is when you were going to enhance your bottom line, what were some of your favorite strategies to do that? And I'm sure it wasn't just the last year. I'm sure you did it all along because you are not a statistic. You built and grew a successful and then sold even more so a successful company over the course of 15 years. But what were your, some of your favorite profit, like saving and preserving strategies in that business? We
2: made um, the biggest expense for a maid service is your labor. And so you have to look at labor as a percentage of revenues. And so we made that everybody's job. So we told our employees, okay, an average employee here makes X dollars an hour. Let's say it's 11. And they had a stamp and they stamped their paperwork every day. Um, now you don't have physical paperwork, but they would compute what their percentage was of the revenue from that day for their employees if they all made this average wage. And they were responsible as part of the review process, as part of how we looked at success. Of We were a team, so leading a team, but you could do this with individuals as well, um, if they're hourly pay. Um, Part of their success, as well as our success, was measured based on how they did on that percentage. So, you know, everybody had ownership of that. And I think that really helped us um, over the years because we were consistently at a certain percentage, whether we paid hourly or not, because of that.
0: That's brilliant. I think that we as business owners often have a hard time, and this is definitely getting into Martha's territory, but how do we, how are we transparent and then how do we transfer that ownership and accountability back to the staff? And how do you choose KPIs that are relevant to staff? Mm -hmm. Um, So as owners, we're responsible for, or maybe sales teams, we're responsible for those gross proceeds numbers but at the end of the day, what what are the levers that affect our bottom line and mm-hmm. how can we hold our teams accountable to those? So it sounds like Kathy found a, a simple, very straightforward way of doing that. And it was giving accountability directly to the staff that they had to produce at a certain rate of the amount that they were bringing in, right? So they had to be efficient um, and they had to be profitable. And I, I love that as a non-absentee, but trying in my head to be as absentee as possible owner, that's really great because then when those metrics are in line and your staff are accountable, those metrics, everybody wins. So that's a really great idea. I'm going to finish typing up those notes while I pass (laughs) you to Michelle and she's going to talk to you about systems today. Thank you
1: very much, Kathy, for sharing that. Awesome. Thanks, Megan. Hey, Kathy. I am... Loving the fact that Mike Dalkey picked up on really the high level points of your business when he was looking at it and systems was one of them. So as everybody listening probably knows, most service businesses now have a CRM in place, but 20 years ago, tell me how you organized everything in your world and had a system for it that got Mike Dalkey's attention 20 years later. What did you do when you first started? Take us back. Well, I have regrets
2: about that. Oh, no. Okay. We we didn't have many systems in place in the beginning. We didn't even have an employee manual. So if you made a decision, if an employee wanted the day off and you made the decision, it felt like you were making that decision off the cuff, right? Yeah. It didn't feel like you were making consistent decisions. And so people would get upset because it was personal. It wasn't just your policy. Yeah. So maybe that's what helped me learn early on that it was important to put some policies in place. So probably a year or two in, we finally got together and put in an employee manual. Um, <laughs> okay. And at some point we realized, in, in, and for our training process in the beginning, mm-hmm. we used these um, speed cleaning videotapes. Sure. A lot of you've heard of, and they would watch them and we would sit there with them and go, oh, but we don't do that. And oh, but Oops. we don't use that. Product. <laughs> so you know, we learned from inconsistency. I would say. So <laughs> that's the next thing we put in place. We had an employee who um, did training manuals for Walmart, and, oh, her, wow. and a customer, I mean. And so we traded house cleaning. And she helped us write our first training manual, which was beautiful. She had pictures oh, and oh. arrows over to different things and the, the do's and the don'ts. And we talked about products and what could harm things and where to use them. And, um, and we started really talking about consistency with our staff that, yeah. you know, if you went to McDonald's, this was our favorite example. Mm. If you went to McDonald's and ordered a Big Mac in China. What would you want yeah. it to taste like? Well, you want it to taste like a Big Mac, here, right? So, no matter who goes to somebody's house, everybody needs to deliver the Big Mac. You know, everybody needs to deliver the same thing. So, we really grew. My husband um, was a teacher. We got to a certain size where I thought he would really add to the business, and he came in the business and partnered with us, and started writing training manuals. So, I mean, they really got in depth. A group of People came to my house and they did a videotape on, you know, how to what to say and not to say in a customer's home. And it was a comedy. So <laughs> they like looked through the bills, they looked through my mail, they gossiped oh, about nice. the other employees, they gossiped about the company. And then we played that for our staff. And they had to try to find all the things the employees did wrong. And the person who found the most things won a prize, you know. Oh, that's um, great. Bed making. <laughs> You know, but then we started, um, we actually started using Martha's software and we had always used just a comment card where they marked threes or fours or whatever. Uh Once we started using her software, people could write unlimited amounts of information and we found out we had a customer service problem. Your staff, they don't tell me goodbye. They don't, you know, do this. They don't do that. They don't thank me for the check. And so we did... um, we started doing training modules. So we had one on customer service, one on safety, um, one on our core values. Uh, and, and those things, I think, really set us apart uh, to be a different kind of company. And that's part of that employee focus. Employees want to do a good job. you know, And so one thing you have to do is help them do a good job right? training. And by saying this is how we measure success here. And yeah. so our systems were all
1: geared around that. That's epic. In terms of organizing all your customers, your database of customers, did you have a CRM to start out with in 2000? No, likely not, right? And so what did you use? And then how did you move into technology? Oh, I used, I, <laughs> I don't even remember the name of it.
2: It was a Microsoft module. It wasn't Excel. Um, Outlook, was it? No, it wasn't Outlook. Okay, help me. So there was a Microsoft module that did scheduling. Hmm, And we we did it in that. It was something similar to Excel. That module may not even exist anymore.
0: Is it access? Access, maybe?
2: Yes, it was access. Good pull, Megan. Thank you. Good pull. Yeah, Um, I can't access things in my brain all the
1: time. When you ended up selling, uh, tell me what software you were using at the end there when you were looking to sell to Mike. What were you using then?
2: Um, boy, Martha, what's the name of the software Uh-oh. I used? Oh,
3: autopilot? Yes, ah, so we, had just,
2: autopilot. we had just transitioned. That's why Got it didn't it. come to my mind. So okay. we had used another software for years, and we transitioned probably in February and March and sold the business July 1st.
1: Awesome. So okay.
2: I didn't use it very
1: long. And one other one, I communication to your staff. How did you do that, you know, because that's a big pain point for a lot of people, you know, how do you get information from the office to the team out in the field? How did you communicate with them throughout your business and what system did you use that worked best? they came
2: to the office in person because we were teams. And so they oh, yeah. met at the office. So we had um, regular staff meetings. We also had a board where they, we could write things for them to see where they picked up their rag bags because we had, yeah. you know, materials for every house for them to take. So we were old school. <laughs> um, we were, with <laughs> we okay. staff we're... Meetings. Uh, we had fun with our staff meetings. One thing we did is there was a golden toilet bowl brush award. We had a toilet, a spray painted toilet bowl brush, and you wanted if you did the dumbest thing that week. So, people would tell their stories about what people did, and it was just a lot of fun. Nobody was offended. People were proud to hang that up, and they were they were excited to get rid of it the following. Oh, week. So I love that! I love. We that. talked about core values. You know, we'd pick a core value, and once a month we would do a dream meeting where we talked about their dreams and worked on that. So.
1: That's huge. I know Martha's going to touch on that one. So I won't get into that, but thank you so much. I'm grateful for your time. I love the fact that you moved this business kind of into the future and then was able to sell it to a a dynamic company like Blue Skies. That's a great group. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm going to pass you to Martha.
3: Yeah, I, you know, that brought back a lot of memories because (laughs) Kathy and I were part of a mastermind group group. And I'm getting an echo. Before those existed, right? Before those Mm -hmm. really existed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where the echo's coming from. There is a bit of an echo. Okay. I don't see it. Better now. Um, So anyway, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about like your supply room. I remember... I remember our mastermind group getting so many ideas from Kathy and George. And, uh, you know, there were things in your supply room. I remember uh, your training program was like leaps and bounds above the rest of us. I remember your scheduling board. And I remember how you had things color-coded for recurring and, you know, so that you could easily see the open spots. And I remember several of us um, trying to copy some of that. And, you know, to this day, Kathy, there's still not a scheduling software that I know of that points out those holes in the, you know, recurring schedule so you can plop them in. Um, But I want to talk about two things around people. So one is going back to having them be accountable for their labor and their efficiency. Um, Many, many people would be so afraid to do something like that because you are pointing out to the employee that, hey, you're only getting paid 35% of the revenue, And for a lot of people, that would be no-go. They would not want their employees to know that. And I know you had a culture that they were not resentful. So how did you bridge that gap?
2: Um, You know, we shared a lot more financial information with our staff than is normally done. And we had... um, so many benefits for them. We, we did healthcare uh, long before Obamacare came into play. Uh, we did um, a lot of paid time off. So I think they knew they had all these benefits. Um, we had a, a, a made uh, money program that was probably much more generous than anybody else's that I knew of. And then if we raised customer prices, we gave our employees a percentage of that. So we'd say, okay, we're going to do this price increase. We expect our you know, revenues to go up this amount. And so we want you to vote on, I know this is crazy, but that's the way our culture was. We want you to vote on what you'd rather have. Would you rather see you know, our percentage that we pay for mileage on your car be higher? Would you rather have another paid day off or would you rather, and they would all vote. If we had problems, we would solve them together. And so I think that um, we talked about what our bottom line was. I've even told them how much I made at one point and uh, how much money went to them that you probably don't typically see in our industry. Um, so I think it just openness. you know?
3: Yeah, yeah. And it never first, seemed to be a problem, you know? Right. And that's where I was I was sure you're going to go, because when people say that um, to me, then that's kind of where we go is that the thing is, when the people get resentful, it's it could be one. You have the wrong person, you know, if, if you have the wrong person, no matter how great you are about being open and honest. And you know, they're just a bitter person. But for the most part, it's usually a lack of trust. And um, there's a book called Culture Works. And in that book, there's a really good exercise that I have talked about a lot, but it's where you know you take hundred dollars, break it into small bills and you do the percentage exercise and you know you take the percentages away from people so they can see that okay sure maybe you know your pay your unloaded labor is 35% but you know taxes blah 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 you know here's another 20 and here's another yeah so that's brilliant and then the other thing that i want to have you talk about is the dare to dream program. You were, you know, like, I was a big fan of the dream manager book, but you went to the extreme and got certified and then developed your own program. And so talk about that process, Kathy.
2: And I wish I, so that's a regret. I should have started it sooner. So here I am my, my business is doing really well. My husband and I are making a good living. We're reaching our dreams and our goals. And, and a friend had given me the dream manager program around the time I started the business. So very early on. But I was afraid to ever implement it because I was assuming that their dream would be to leave, right? Mm-hmm. So are they going to want to clean for the rest of their lives? or Are they going to want to do something else? So um, I had been debating and debating after going to the training in Chicago um, about what to do. And I was standing behind an employee and she was learning a new software program called Find, or, uh, View My Paycheck. And she was answering, she was gonna help people know how to look up what their paycheck was gonna be a few days in advance of actually receiving it. And it came to the question, you know security questions what country would you like to visit and she said country and clicked on what was the name of your first dog you know and i thought wow she doesn't dream and that's when i decided i have to do this and i get emotional about it because i wish we had done it sooner i i started it six months before i sold the business and it changed things um we um people got along better. Like they would get in a room and, and they we would divide up, you know, and they would get in a room and encourage each other's dreams and hear about each other's dreams. So you have a new employee or two people that don't like each other in that room together, hearing somebody dream, you know, sharing dreams, writing them to, um, reaching them. I still hear from employees five years later, one of my employees just bought a house And she told me the dream program was the first thing she thought of. You know, it made running my business so much more rewarding. Um, So because we were in it together, we're all in it to reach our dreams and our goals. And their dream wasn't to leave. In fact, one employee's dream was to leave. She wanted to be a dental assistant. And guess what she did? She convinced her sister to come work for us because she told her, we were such a good place to work, you know, so um, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. I wish I'd done it sooner. I wish we'd been able to do it longer and be able to tell you what it more numbers, you know, I had a short term improvement in my numbers as far as retaining people, but I'd like to have seen long term if those would have kept up. So I'm sorry. Uh
3: well, I hey, feel a
2: passionate about this
3: getting all of us and no, uh, it's good. It's I'm so on the good. Coast, so <laughs> gee, whiz, get me to tear up at seven, whatever in the morning. <laughs> oh, uh, I love no, it. I, I, you, that you starting that program was very impactful to me too. And, um, I, that's why I wanted you to talk about it. And, uh, one of these days, I'd like to have you in the Culture First group to just talk about that program. Because I I do believe that 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 program can change your whole culture. Because you're saying to your employees, this is about you and your dreams. They're so used to working somewhere where it's about the bosses, <laughs> you know, benefit. And uh, so I think it's a real shift and uh, clearly so impactful. And, you know, it's that old that you get fulfillment out of helping others, not what you do for yourself. So and we didn't I mean, we didn't the
2: only thing we paid for it, it didn't cost money to do this. The only thing we paid for was for people to work on their GED. And I think six employees in six months got their GED, which is now called HiSET in Missouri. Um, So that's. But we would bring a speaker in. Most of the time, we'd bring the speaker in once a month. And if it looked like their dream was to get out of debt or their dream was around a relationship, we brought a relationship counselor in. They submitted their questions in advance. She answered questions. One person's dream was they had been living with somebody for 10 years. They just wanted to get married. After that relationship counselor came in, I'd say within six months they got married, you know, which (laughs) is providing education and information. You know, we brought somebody in on how to fix your credit because it was the dream to buy a house and fixing your credit is the first thing. Right. So,
3: yeah,
2: that's so cool.
3: We could Mm. talk forever about that, but uh, it's good. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, okay, well, uh, Tay, I'll pass it back to you and um, we'll start. Oh, Kathy, I forgot to tell you that at the end, we do do homework and um, we will each be giving a piece of homework. And our audience is supposed to pick one thing, you know, the one thing that resonates with them that they think will move their business the most. And you as a guest are allowed to give homework or not. It's up to you. So uh, Tay, you start off with your homework and then we'll go from there.
4: Awesome. Okay. Um, something that really resonated with me and what Kathy and I spoke about today is not only data, but also consistency. So for marketing, I feel like that's something a lot of business owners, if you are working with a marketing company, you tend to not ask those questions. And those questions are really important. You need to know what your data looks like, what your Google Analytics, your Google AdWords, your SEO campaign, what the consistency of those campaigns look like and what tools that your marketing team can tell you are things that you can do To be able to help kind of boost those campaigns on your own time that's not going to interfere with what they're working on and then also vice versa if you aren't working with a marketing company you can still take a look at that at your own marketing data if you are doing it on your own and make sure that that consistency is there every single day every single week each month each quarter so my challenge this week for you is to open up those conversations whether it's with someone in-house that you do on your staff that does your marketing or it's with your marketing team start with that conversation of i want to know my numbers i want to know what my marketing numbers are and how we can stay consistent on a yearly monthly quarterly basis so that's going to be marketing homework for this week
0: Awesome. I've been really having a hard time with homework lately. I feel like I've been so engaged and listening. I'm like, oh, my brain. I'm not ready. <laughs> um, so, for your money homework this week, I want you to just have a real, like, sit down moment with yourself, like some self discovery, and think about what's the end goal. And if the end goal might be selling, it doesn't have to be selling, but if it is selling. I encourage you to have conversations with people early, like your accountant or a commercial broker or a friend who's gone through a recent sale and kind of get a realistic idea of what that would look like for your business and its current state. Um, I really love that Kathy did that one to two years before she was approached by a buyer. Because while she was going through some personal things that kind of pushed her over the edge of making that decision, she wasn't in a position where she had to sell. And I think she was much more prepared because she had been having those hypothetical conversations. And um, it could be a huge difference between a $50,000 sale and a, you know, sale, just getting prepared in advance one to two years and really being thoughtful about some of the decisions you're making in your business. So step one is just sit down and have a chat. Like what, what's, what's the goal? Is the goal to sell in a year? Is the goal to sell in five years? Is the goal to sell in 10 years? Or maybe the goal is to be absentee and to pull off this amount of income and to not sell. That's okay too. Um, But if, once you have that true, like gut check that the goal is to sell, then I'd like you to just consult with a third party, somebody completely unbiased. And when I said a friend that went through a recent sale, I don't mean like, you know, your neighbor who got a bigger tax refund than you or something. I mean somebody who's actually gone through the sales process um and uh and done that successfully. So that is your finance homework is just to explore the hypothetical sales situation. Um, and Kathy gave some really good advice and In the notes are all four of the steps that her broker told her for valuation of her company.
1: Good stuff. And for systems, I loved, Kathy, how every time we talked about something, you just kept pivoting back to people and employees. So I loved the the talk about the dream board, and we didn't get to dive into that very deeply. But I think having dreams and being something, sorry, Martha, I'm going to step on yeah. your toes, having some sort of dream manager program or system in your business, I think is massively beneficial. So I've already stocked the website, and I'm going to put it up for people to check it out if they want to know more about this program to become a Dream Manager for your business. I think that was incredibly powerful. So, sorry, Martha, you're going to have to come up with something better or just create a program for all of us to buy, please, because that's what we need. (laughs) So, check out Dream Manager. That's your homework.
3: Well, and uh, actually, Kathy did create a program and uh, it is part, you have access to it in the Culture First group. Her Dare to Dream. I need to get in there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. So my homework was going to be to read the dream manager book. And that is that I remember when I read that book, it just makes you pivot how you think about your employees. And like Kathy said, you know, It it shifts that thought of, oh, no, I I don't want to open their mind to other possibilities besides working right here, Um, which is ridiculous because they already think about that. And so when you are in that journey with them, then now you've created that loyalty and really a camaraderie within your company that mm. it's not it gets rid of that us against them kind of feeling and so read the book and uh, i think it's okay if we're both saying something <laughs> similar because it's huge it is yeah. huge i mean clearly it pivoted kathy's company so, so I'm really. gonna
2: add homework if I can. Yay,
3: yes, yes. please.
2: <laughs> so um I have a big regret about delegating to the office staff. So you have to delegate to your cleaning staff, right? But the office staff, I I was not, I was a control freak and I wasn't really oh. able to delegate to them. Well, blue skies is the opposite, and so I got to watch giving them more responsibility and having them be accountable for certain things that I wouldn't let go of. I got to watch them blossom and bloom and they're running my company. Right. So I would suggest that you, you know, give your office staff, you know, think about things that you hold on to and give them a little bit of responsibility and see how they do. Kind of like playing in the sandbox, you know, um, where you kind of outline, here's, you know, if you're a control freak like me, start learning to let people do their jobs, to let them do their
3: jobs very
2: awesome. Hey, Super we need
3: good. to send this to uh, Michael Dalkey and say, yeah. Kathy said on the program that watch <laughs> out, tomorrow she's free and she's coming at you. <laughs> 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 Don't say it. <laughs> oh, well. well,
0: Martha, that
1: was going so well. And then you had to... oh, <laughs> <dear>. <laughs> that.
3: That onriness in me. Oh, <laughs> and Sean's here. Sean Day says, Oh, okay. Yeah. Sean Kathy, don't don't tell him Kathy's right. coming after him
0: <laughs> uh. Kathy, there
3: are several people in the chat
0: that really were inspired by what you had to say today and for me that takeaway of you only implemented dream manager for six months of a 15-year business wow. and five years later Those stories are still with you, are still resonating with you. And so I feel like that should have been everybody's homework was go implement dream manager and (laughs) change some lives like Kathy did. Um, Thank you so much for sharing. That was amazing.
1: Okay. Quote of the week today is about transparency because I think that kind of flowed through everything we talked about today. So transparency in workflow is the key of a strong and efficient team. So I loved Kathy that you shared so much with your team. I think it really was massively impactful to the people that worked with you. And thank you so much for joining us today. What fun. <laughs> I loved it. And everybody have a great week and keep out fighting out there. And we appreciate you seeing you and we will see you next week. Uh, if people well, have hi. questions or want to
0: reach out to you, Kathy, yes. is there a way for them to get a hold of you? Well, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: they can send me an email, Kathy Gage, K A T H Y G A G E 2, at gmail.com. Perfect. Okay. Great. Thanks so much.
0: And we'll
1: see everybody awesome. next week, Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. Yep. Yeah. Hey guys. Sounds good. See you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.
0: Connect with Fight Club for Business. Join our Facebook group where we have weekly homework, accountabilities, and an awesome community to help you fight for your business. Facebook.com slash Fight Club for, as in the number four, business.
3: Fight Fight Club for for Business.